0: So in this week's episode, I'm joined by Sam Harper and Steph Davies to have a conversation about mindfulness. So I'm going to hand over to each of you to introduce yourself and say a little bit about what you do and your connection with mindfulness or meditation. So Sam, can I start with you? Sure. Yeah. Hi there. Nice to nice to see you both. So I've been in the DI for 19
1: years, which I can't quite believe myself. So driving instructor. And I've done various different things along the way, a little bit of fleet training, so training professional drivers, delivering speed awareness courses. But more recently, I found myself drawn towards mindfulness and meditation. I've since qualified to be a mindfulness teacher and uh, I've integrated that into my work around learners and license holders and driving instructors, as well as the general public, a little bit of corporate stuff. So yeah, we'll kind of mixture with ADI and mindfulness
2: kind of slant, but uh, it all seems to fit quite well. Brilliant. Thanks. And Steph? Hello, everyone. So my name is Steph. I've been an ADI for just over 10 years. Uh, Again, similar journey, really. I've done different pieces. I've done ADI training. I trained this year as an exhale meditation instructor. Similar to SANA, I found a way to kind of intertwine it with lessons and I noticed... People having issues with nerves and stress and anxiety, more and more and more on the road. So yeah, I wanted to I wanted to explore how the meditation and the mindfulness side can help learner drivers and experienced drivers as well. So yes, that's me.
0: Fantastic. And of course, remembering that I'm not a driving instructor at all. So my background is in mindfulness, and I trained as a mindfulness teacher back in 2014. But not being a driving instructor, I sort of piggybacked on Kev's driving instructor skills to try and find a way of linking mindfulness and learning to drive together. But I don't have that experience myself of teaching people in cars. So it's fantastic to have two driving instructors on who you're trained and qualified in mindfulness and meditation. And you give lessons in cars. So you've got that real direct experience that lots of other people won't have. So that was why I wanted to get you on. And the driving force behind it was this ready to pass campaign that's come out over the summer where mindfulness is being recommended to learner drivers to help them with driving test nerves. And I think within the industry, there's been mixed opinions depending on how much somebody knows about mindfulness. And one of the things that dawned on me was that there quite possibly will be drivers out there who the Ready to Pass campaign is recommending speak to your driving instructor about mindfulness techniques. And I'm aware that probably the majority of driving instructors maybe don't know how to respond to that or what to say. So I felt that that was a gap we could maybe fill with this podcast episode. So if you're listening and you've asked your driving instructor or you're planning on asking your driving instructor about mindfulness, if they don't know much about it, then hopefully we can fill in some of those gaps here. So I'm interested in hearing from you two as your direct experience. What do you... Well, I suppose, first of all, I know that every mindfulness teacher describes mindfulness in a different way. So how do you describe mindfulness?
1: So, yeah, I mean, Jon Kabat-Zinn, who is the man that bought mindfulness from you know, when he, 1979, I think it was, and he describes it as paying attention in a particular way, on purpose, non-judgmentally, And I think he adds a line as if your life depends on it as well, because he says, because it does. It's paying attention to, it's attending to, it's being attentive to whatever your experience is, good, bad, or indifferent, rather than what we all tend to do as human beings, which is to want to numb, avoid, shut out, stick our fingers in our ears and go, la, 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 this isn't happening. Because it's difficult when we pay attention to the realities of life, And particularly if we're struggling in any particular area this this paying attention to can be quite quite difficult and the other area that I'm particularly interested in is the compassion side of things because mindfulness is an amazing you know tool and it's great to learn to be more attentive to things but the question is then well now what do I do I know it's bad I know how I feel now what How, how am I going to feel better And it's the the compassion part where we can learn tools and techniques just to help us to feel a bit better, just to help us to feel a bit like we've got uh, tools to cope and manage a little bit more easily and effectively.
0: I think that's really pertinent because the idea if somebody is struggling with driving test nerves, then when they're paying attention to that reality of right now, yeah, that is really uncomfortable. So. Yes, that idea that then you can be compassionate with yourself so you know what to do with it is is great. Yeah, it's um, compassion isn't always talked about in mindfulness and it's not an area that I cover in great depth myself. So it's great to be able to remember that piece. Fantastic. Steph, I know your exhale techniques are a little bit different. They're quite different to some of the things that we do. So how does yours fit in?
2: I think... Because with the exhale techniques, they they combine mindful movement and breath work, it's meditation with modern music. I think, see, my idea around mindfulness is it's being present within the moment at that time. And I think in terms of people with driving lessons and driving in the car, I think people find that difficult. I think uh, raising people's self-awareness to how they feel, the emotions they might feel in the car, If somebody else is maybe feeling angry emotions, are we going to take those on board ourselves? How are we going to be able to manage those situations? And even for the driving test, just being aware of ourselves and how we feel and having techniques to be able to manage, basically, just to be able to deal with it.
0: Yes, almost being able to spot it a bit earlier so that you can bring in the techniques to to help earlier on rather than ignoring it, ignoring it, and then it just building up and getting bigger and bigger?
1: For me, one of the big big things was the fact that it was realising that I had much more control over how I felt and ultimately what happened than I realised. I always felt like I was looking externally for answers. I was looking for somebody else to fix it or to make me feel better. For me, that that realisation that actually is we've got this within all of us. It's just finding ways to help us to learn to do it more. <laughs>
0: yeah, definitely. It's the fact that we have choice. We've got that. Yeah. That's one of the things that practising mindfulness gives you. It helps you become more aware of that moment when you can choose how to react and how to respond to somebody. So for me, when I talk about mindfulness, I always talk about, being aware of the present moment, but being aware of it with a slightly broader perspective. So trying to be aware of different elements instead of being lost in thought or lost in pain or lost in emotion, that actually you have a slightly broader perspective. So you're aware of different elements of the present moment. So you're noticing now and everything that that Encompasses, and it's that that gives you that moment of choice and not being in autopilot. If somebody's struggling with the idea of mindfulness, I often start with the opposite. So, what do they think of as mindlessness? And people often find that much easier. If you ask, how would you describe somebody who is being mindless? They're often quite quick to say somebody's on autopilot. They're lost in thought, and they're being careless. So people often find it sometimes easier to go backwards than to come to it from a mindfulness point of view. So how do you both use it in lessons?
2: I think for me, definitely breathing techniques, a hundred percent. I've done it for so long, even before I started doing uh, my training with Exhale. That's what brought me to it, to be honest, was I noticed the power of it. Just something so simple as just breathing, just regulating your heart rate, just calming down, not allowing yourself to just become this all of panic and stress when something comes up that maybe you wasn't expecting. So for me, always breathing. That's that's definitely where I started from. It's definitely where we always go to. We do sometimes have music on in the car as well so we use certain music with different types of frequencies like and frequencies so i've been putting that on low in the car and that seems people seem to like that
1: yeah i use music as well occasionally yeah and i i use the breath as well Steph it, like you say it's very powerful because it it brings people out of that fear response doesn't it the way that it actually affects the body the way it affects the nervous system on a biochemical level Absolutely fascinating, but also what I find with this awareness is, it's really useful for them to just—I I call it like checking the weather. Like, what's the weather like? And and sometimes they're holding their breath or clenching their shoulders and their jaw, or they're holding the steering wheel so tight they they can't even move. They've turned into a robot because they're so tense. But the trouble is, as you just said, the awareness part is the key part because we so often we're doing these things and we don't realize we're doing it. And I think for us as well as ADIs, it's useful to have the awareness to observe what's happening. And I'll say to them, "Well, oh, you know, we remember to breathe." Like, oh, "Oh, sorry. Oh, yes, I'm holding my breath again. Yeah. Well, oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm clenching again." <laughs> so yeah, it's so important, isn't it? The way we feel behind the wheel, that checking the weather, that internal weather pattern well, how actually am I feeling today? What has it been like before I got in the car? Because often we,
2: we don't even really realise what we're bringing with us into the car. I like that. I like that check in the weather reference. See, we use when we get to like traffic lights and stuff, we say reset. Let's just reset. Just mm-hmm. like a little jiggle of the shoulders, like you said, with the helmet, we all like that, really tight. Just loosening the fingers. So yeah, but I like checking the weather. That's yeah. nice. I like that. I'm going to steal that. <laughs> <laughs> no, go
1: for, it.
2: Go for it. I mean, I, I don't know about you guys as well, but it, even for myself
1: and as an ADI staff, you know, I have days where I have to check my own weather pattern and the way I feel, what I'm bringing into the car massively affects the lesson. And I think this is why ADIs would be so well to learn about this because obviously there's reference to it for their own knowledge and information. It's a good thing, but it's been so massive for me. As an ADI, I'm a much calmer and a much more compassionate driving instructor with mindfulness. I notice when I'm starting to get a little bit tense or I'm starting to get a little bit frazzled, my patience maybe start to wear thin when I'm starting to feel like that. I might be a bit more shorter than I maybe would want to be. And that's not good either. So I think if we can have this awareness with us as well, that we can, we almost, and the energy, you feel it, you know, it comes off, doesn't it? I know with myself. It, it permeates, doesn't it, the atmosphere in the car, if one of you is
0: a little bit off. I would imagine <laughs> that's quite strong, actually, that you pick up somebody's mood or weather pattern as soon as they get in the car and it is really important to acknowledge that that works both ways so students are going to pick up their driving instructor's mood and driving instructors are going to pick up their students mood so I would imagine that's a really good way to start any lesson actually is to before a lesson check in how am I how am I feeling and how is that going to affect my moods my emotions and my driving behavior and my driving
2: decisions. Absolutely. Definitely. I think because we're in such a small, confined space as well in a car. And in some of my training, we learned that the nervous system actually does connect with others that are close to you. So I think if we get in the car, oh, like in that state, it's definitely going to transfer through to the people. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, definitely. And they won't even know why, necessarily, and think, why am I having an off day? No. <laughs> was, yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, you know, I'd say for the ADIs that I teach, it's like you almost filter this through like biosmosis. It's a funny thing, isn't it? Teaching mindfulness, it's very experiential. You have to do it, don't you? It's not like yoga. You can't really teach it in a technical sense, That you've got to do it to really appreciate it. And I yeah. think it's, it filters through biosmosis, definitely the way we feel. it's actually, And like you say, it is a very confined space and it's very... You, I can feel it and I, I'm very sensitive to to energies and stuff. And when people get in the car, I, I can feel it and I'll say, wow, you know, it's, I can feel when the energy has gone softened, you know, and I saw well, that feels that's better, isn't it? And they say, oh, yeah, yeah, that's better.
0: So it's great to hear some of these things because I remember when I first started talking about mindfulness in relation to driving, I did have a driving instructor say to me, oh, I don't want my students daydreaming and staring at clouds and we we can't be having meditation in the car and and I I had a real I will say the majority of driving instructors I spoke to were much more like oh tell me more and were much more curious actually they were quite quite mindful about it but yeah I do remember this one reaction of being really dismissive and I remember them Going on about clouds. I don't know where these clouds came into it all, but yeah, they kept going on about clouds. So have you had experiences of that, of either students or driving instructors talking about how do you combine, how can you do mindfulness without meditation? Is that something people get confused about?
2: I think people don't understand it. They don't know what it is. I, I, did, I actually did a meditation session this morning, and she she actually would said to me she would never have tried meditation. It was only because we did coaching, so I coached her um for a number of months, and then it transferred through into meditation sessions. And she said it's just not what I expected it to be I thought it was going to be she said hippy dippy she said it was going to be like this with the fingers and she just didn't think it was for her so I think there's just a a lack of understanding about it yeah
1: definitely yeah and that's the funny thing isn't it I I actually shared a thing recently on Facebook and it was a load of sports people and pop stars talking about mindfulness and there's 50 cents or fiddy scent, if I get it right, yeah. <laughs> said, um, saying to Oprah, I meditate. She went, what? You you, me- you meditate? And he said, yeah, yeah, I, I, I always meditate. And there was uh, Jay-Z and I think Hugh Jackman, there was a reference on there. But a lot of people do it, and I think and it is coming more into the mainstream. I think the tides are yeah. turning because I think historically there was this very old-fashioned idea that you had to wear beads and Jesus sandals and tie-dye clothes. To practice mindfulness, a lot of people would think, "Oh, that's not for me." Yeah. Um. The the tides are changing, you know. Yeah,
0: Yeah. definitely. And and the truth is, is that you can be mindful about every single thing that you do. Yeah. When you come back to those descriptions that you both gave about paying attention, being having an awareness of what you're doing, well, you can do that with absolutely everything. Yeah. I don't know about you, Seth,
1: but I find with a lot of my pupils, any reference to sports psychology is helpful. Um, because like you, you, know some of them will sort of maybe be a bit suspicious about mindfulness or don't really understand what it is. And yet you'll talk to them about, if they, if they play sport, where I live in Gloucester, we've got a lot of rugby players and they totally relate to mindset training. They totally get it and the pep talks they have before they go out on the pitch and that they're present and that whatever routines they do they get it and I'm like well that's mindfulness so you're just being you know you're just stepping back and you're observing how it is you're present you're not getting caught up with worries and stories of the past you're not projecting stories of the future you're just grounded you're centered you're present ready to perform and that's it yeah and it is as simple as that
2: isn't it it is yeah I think people It's like she mentioned something this morning. Like I, I didn't realize you could meditate, and you didn't have to sit cross-legged. It's like, well, of course you can meditate. You could be walking down the street, and you could be mindful. You could be driving your car. You could be shopping. It doesn't. You don't have to just be sitting there cross-legged and empty your mind of all thoughts altogether. And that's what you need to do because it just isn't that. But, yeah, I think it's just trying to relate it to something. Like you say something people are interested in, something that makes sense to them. Yeah. And finding a way for them to go, oh, okay, maybe yeah. I can be mindful. Maybe I am already being. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And they are skills that everybody has. They are, that is just part of being human, being mm. mindful. It's just, I guess, with mindfulness, what we, we're doing is we're trying to encourage people to do it on purpose. Whereas the actual skill of it is something that people do naturally every day at certain points during their day anyway. The the, the the point of this is we're just practicing it. We're doing it on purpose a little bit more. It's funny, isn't it? Because we, as
1: adults, we're so caught up in concepts because I teach a bit of mindful photography as well, which I love. And I say to people, you know, when you give a bunch of keys to a baby, the baby sees the shiny shape texture, cold, jangly, that's literally it. They're in the present moment. They see the keys for exactly what they are. They haven't got like an internal narrative going on about what the keys are for, what what they might need to do with them, what was the past history of them, what they're going to need. That doesn't exist because babies, we're born with this innate ability to be mindful and present. But over the years, we start, we build up, basically we get conditioned, don't we? We get yeah. this conditioning where we start to have a store we start to create stories around everything. And sometimes with driving, we create a story of, I'm a rubbish driver. I'll never be any good at it. It's really scary, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we tell ourselves these stories rather than just being present to actually, what am I actually doing right here in this present moment? The reality of actually operating the controls and, you know, the reality of actually driving the car is one thing the stories we tell ourselves about that experience is completely separate. Once they start to understand it's the story I'm making up. Oh, there I go again, make up that story again. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's it. Thoughts are not facts. Stories are just stories. And yeah, because I'm not in the car with people, I'm sort of imagining certain things, but I imagine that the people that we talk to quite a lot come out with these what if stories. What if this happens? What if that happens? Completely ignoring the fact that at that moment in time, they are safe, they are driving, they are controlling the car. So it's sort of, it's almost as if their present moment, they can't feel safe and satisfied with their present moment. They have to add in the, oh, well, what if this happens? And what if that happens?
1: That's what we do, isn't it? In life, rumination was one of my. Um, if I could get an A level in rumination, I would have had one. Yes, <laughs> I used to be really great at ruminating. So I, you know, I'd always be playing back stories of he said this or she said that, and what did they mean by it? And it's hard work.
0: Yeah, and I wish I'd said that.
1: Yes, <laughs> oh, yeah. Look, I wish I'd said that. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Even yeah. just being able to just park that, put that, put that bag
0: down is. Yeah in itself, because I know a lot of people do it. Yeah, definitely. So is there anybody that mindfulness would not be suitable for when it comes to driving? I know that, for example, when you're running a mindfulness course, then there are certain people that we might say to them, this course isn't for you right now at this moment in time. But how about when we're trying to apply mindfulness you know, for people who are listening, if they're interested in using some mindfulness to help them, is there anybody that that wouldn't be suitable for? What do you think?
1: Um, for me, the depth that I go into with mindfulness is so light with regards to introspection. It's not, I don't think it's problematic. However, I am mindful to ask people if they have any difficulties around the breath. Because yeah. if somebody's got asthma, or prone to panic attacks where where focusing on the breath just isn't helpful. I think it's wise just to check that. And we can also, there's there's variations that we can do. So we can invite them to bring awareness to the sensations of the coolness of the nostrils. They're so not focusing on the actual inhalation into the lungs or noticing the feeling of the wheel under their hands, the ground under their feet. So we can bring attention to all the senses, but just maybe if there's difficulties with with breath awareness, just maybe tailoring that to suit that client, I think.
0: Yeah. And it is quite easy to steer clear. And in my my background is in cancer care. And so when I was delivering mindfulness with patients, predominantly we would avoid breath work. So I did get into the habit of doing far less mindful breathing than other mindfulness practices, just because it could be a trigger for some people. So, yeah, it is easy to... if So if breathing exercises aren't for you, there are still other types of mindfulness practices that you can give a try without going anywhere near the breath. So it doesn't have to be about breath. Yeah. How about you, Steph? Is there anybody that you sort of think, well, maybe mindfulness isn't for them?
2: I am... I don't think so. I think unless it's, you know, on a medical level where it would cause any type of problem for them. I know when we were in training, we had like a list of contraindications. So sometimes as well with meditation, because it maybe this is more meditation rather than mindfulness in the car, but people maybe with mental health problems, if they've got um, anything like that going on, sometimes you would refer and just speak to a GP just to make sure that everything's okay to continue. But yeah, like like San says in yourself, says just anyone who's got issues with breath, just be mindful of that, you know? Yeah, but we can't help using the mindful word just when we're talking, can we?
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I use lessons all the time. I always say be mindful of this and mm. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's so relevant, isn't it? Yeah,
0: it. <laughs> so once you get the hang of mindfulness and <laughs> the idea <laughs> of it it just sort of like power me. Poem- yeah. I can't yeah. say that word. <laughs> <laughs> permeate. It just, it permeate yeah. That's it. It just permeates into your language and into everything that you do. Yeah, definitely. I think, is there anything that we haven't covered that you
2: think would be really good to get out there? I think for me, a big part of mindfulness in and part has been uh, being able to manage other people's issues on the road. See, I, I seem to experience a lot of aggression, and impatience and that kind of thing on the road. So I found for me personally on a personal level, I found that really helpful because I used to take it all on board. Mm. Um, I maybe still do as, you know, sometimes I'll go home and I'll get a bit upset or, you know, but I feel that the way that I'm able to handle the things that I deal with on a daily basis in the car and I'm able to handle it better, it makes me a better driver in myself. But then I've been able to pass that on to learner drivers as well because it is quite intimidating being a learner driver. There are a lot of people who don't have patience, who just don't want to give learner drivers the space to just learn like they should be able to. They just, there's just a bit of a lack of respect. So I've felt that I've been able to help pupils with that size of things quite a lot with mindfulness.
1: Yeah, I could really relate to that stuff, Definitely. And I I posted something today, actually, because this week is the Brake Charities Road Safety Week. And I posted a thing because I I took a picture of one of my learners with the little banner thing. And I said, let's be kind to, or let's be patient with learner drivers because they are the ambulance, police, bus, taxi, drivers of the future. And when you can no longer drive, you're going to need somebody to drive you. And these are the drivers of tomorrow, so we, let's just let them get on with learning, you know, not kind of get in the way of that. But everything you've said, I, I relate to is helping people to actually understand that it's got zero to do with them. Yeah. What anyone, what anyone else is is uh, doing or the behaviors that they're displaying is they're just projecting and it's got nothing, it's not personal. Yeah. And when you talk, you can walk them through a story, can't you? I sort of say, well, let's just, I'd pull over if it's something has been a bit challenging. And I'll say, okay, what what could be going on for them? We make up a story. And I said, but this is a thing. It's a story. We don't know. Let's Mm. make up a story and then make up a difficult story. And I said, well, the thing is, it could be that or maybe it could be this. And this is how it's playing out for them. But we're just a a couple of people in a box who are in their way. That's it. We're just in their way. That's it. I love that. Yeah. I, I mean, I used to suffer with anxiety myself. And I had a motorway phobia, funnily enough. Which I had to get over to
2: because I was a andstru, <laughs> a
1: little bit inconvenient. <laughs> um, so uh, I managed to get over it. but the funny thing was it came up to bite me on the backside again. I'm at, how many back about four years ago, I was coming back from somewhere, and I felt this palette coming up, this this thing I hadn't had for like nearly 20 years. I thought, oh my goodness, where what, what where's this come from? What's this about? But this time I had the t- the tools to deal with it, and I was able to support myself. And I was absolutely fine. So it's just knowing kind of how to sort of be with the breath, breathing into the abdomen, managing, you know, my calming my nervous system down, giving myself a bit of compassion, triggering that oxytocin, dopamine, words of support, being my own best friend, and all yeah. that. <laughs> and um, yeah, and it, I, I and it was fine, and I haven't had it since. It was very strange, but I did put it down to being maybe that was a good thing. Maybe it was reminding me of what it's like to be mm-hmm. in that
0: situation. Maybe these things kind of happen for a reason sometimes, don't they? Definitely, and a bit like you were saying about with when you're teaching mindfulness, you can't just go through the motions. You have to experience it, and I think it is really useful to every now and again when we can notice, when we're anxious or nervous or panicky about something, doesn't have to be related to driving, but just noticing those feelings in ourselves gives us that that bridge, that ability to remember and put ourselves in the shoes of the people that we're helping with nerves and anxiety to remember what it's like.
1: Definitely. And I think if you've ever suffered with anxiety yourself, you can you have a lot of empathy. I know I found it really hard to learn to drive. It took me three attempts. I didn't find learning easy at all. And like like I said, I suffered with anxiety. That's why I I've managed to find mindfulness, and I can I can relate to what people are going through because I've been there myself. And I think it is lovely when you feel that you, you can share your story with people, and they can see that you're human too. You have difficult days, and even in the car, you can. I sometimes say, "Oh, I've had a bit of a day today," and you know how are you feel, and we kind of share how we're both feeling because we're we're human too, aren't we?
0: And Steph, you I remember last time when we were speaking. You didn't have an easy route into driving either, did you? I did not.
2: <laughs> pass I was the third didn't pass till third time. It took me forever. I failed two tests when I was heavily pregnant. And then I passed two weeks after giving birth. Um my mum was the same. My mum didn't pass till fourth or well, fifth time. I don't think anyone in my family passed first time. But my mum actually stopped driving because of nerves and anxiety. She just doesn't like being in the car. There's so many people. And, it, you know, I feel bad for my mum as well. I don't think she'll ever go back now. I think it's been too long. But if she'd have been able to find something like this back then, it would have been a completely different story for her yeah and i think that's one of the really
0: important things that we're trying to get across all the time is and um and i didn't know that about you san i didn't know that you'd had those experiences but it's trying to share the fact that people aren't alone is a really common problem for lots of people but also that it is possible to overcome it. So both of you have had those experiences and have gone on to become driving instructors and then have gone on to develop extra skills to be able to help anxious and nervous drivers because you both have your experiences and a lot of empathy for other people in the same situation. And like you say, Steph, for your mum, you don't think she'll ever go back to it, but it is possible for somebody... Who wants to move forward and to change?
2: Definitely. I I just think it's so important that people do know that they're not. You sound see the same. So many people in the car who feel nervous and anxious and get stressed about situations, and they do think it's just them. Why do I feel like this? No one else feels like this. But I say to them all the time, nobody posts their failures on social media. People will only post the good stuff. Yeah, and also I think it's useful
1: for them to know that actually it's the survival mechanism doing its job. When when they start getting really nervous, I say actually it's your body, your nervous system's trying to protect you. There's nothing wrong with you because they think there's something wrong with them. I say there's absolutely nothing wrong with you. It's doing its job too well. You know this anxiety because you're in a metal box. That's not normal. When were we ever born? When we were cavemen, we okay then? We weren't meant to be driving around in metal boxes. So as human beings, it's a bit of a bizarre thing to be going around at high speed in a metal box. Um, and it's a normal thing to be experiencing this nervous response to these things, this fight, flight, freeze response. But it's understanding that we can recognize it, but then we can manage it. That's the thing. We can manage it. It doesn't have to then kind of spiral out of control. I think it's useful for them to know that it's it's a normal response. Yeah
0: definitely and like you say it means that their survival system is spot on it's doing a brilliant job it's just a bit unhelpful really yeah because
1: people can be in a very vulnerable position when due to whatever reason could be age or other health issues where people lose that and they can get hurt because that nervous
2: system hasn't kicked in because you know that one system's not there We've actually did done something in the past. Oh, it just clicked into my mind. I haven't done this for a while, but we used to name. So we used to talk about like when this response happens, we used to call it a name, like like it was almost something inside the brain. Yeah. I haven't done that for a while. I mean, maybe I'll go back to that. But quite a few people found it helpful by naming what it was in their head. The response they were having. Do you ever use that phrase? If you can name it, you can tame it. Oh, now. Oh, I like it. <laughs> there's another one for you. I'm stealing that as well. <laughs> no, I think because I had some. I don't know what do you call it. Let's just say John. Would you say oh, there's John again? So she would recognise when this feeling was coming up, and she could just kind of push it to a side or push John to the side.
0: Yeah,
2: you know, and she was able to deal with nerves in that way.
0: Yeah. And because when somebody's doing that, what they're doing is they're observing the way their brain is working so instead of being lost in the thought or lost in the feeling they're taking that observer view they're taking balcony view so it's almost like they're just taking a step back slightly different perspective so when you can label it and go oh here we go again yeah thank you very much brain I know you're trying to keep me safe or naming it or labelling it. Whenever you do that, you're just getting a slightly different perspective, taking a slight step back, and all of a sudden, you're more in control. So it's it's kind of um,
1: stepping out of your own way sometimes, isn't it? Because our egoic brains, we make everything about
0: us, mm. don't we? Is there anything else you wanted to say that you wanted to share with anyone listening, anybody who's interested in mindfulness, driving nerves, anything else that you wanted to say? Well, I'll I'll say thank you very much,
1: Tracy, for this uh, opportunity to um, join you today. It's been lovely to meet Steph as well. And it's been lovely to talk to people who are kind of on the same page with this. And I just think it's great. I think the more people that we can reach... To help people to at least kind of be curious about what mindfulness is. It might not be for, it's not for everybody, but I think it's good to at least be curious. And I think podcasts like this are really good to help raise awareness. Um, and as for my part, people can find me. I'm in Gloucester. So if anybody's local to me, San Harper, it's where you can find me if you Google me. I'm um, happy to help. Anybody would like to know a bit more?
0: Lovely. And obviously we'll have links in the show notes so that people can find you, San, and you as well, Steph.
2: Thank you again for having me on again. I I'm really, I'm really pleased. I really appreciate it. And it was lovely to meet you as well, Sam. And I, I think, like Sam said, it's just getting the words out to more and more people, just letting them know that there's help out there if you need it and you are not alone. Yeah, definitely. And the final message, really, being that there
0: is no one size fits all technique to stress, nerves, and anxiety. So, Mindfulness. We've talked about how it overlaps with breathing. We've talked about how it overlaps with our thought processes, and so it overlaps into lots of other techniques. So oh. it might be mindfulness, or it might be another technique that actually you might be doing mindfully without even realizing it.
1: That's a really good point. Actually, I think mindfulness is a really good. It opens a doorway, I think, to new, new possibilities. I know a lot of people that I've introduced to mindfulness have then gone on to explore aromatherapy, for example, Reiki, other techniques. I think it kind of becomes a bit of a journey of exploration, finding what works for you and mindfulness techniques can then certainly lead to uh, wanting to explore all kinds of things that can
0: be supportive to us. Yeah, definitely lots of other things. And then if you are interested in mindfulness, that there are different types of mindfulness. There's meditation, there's music, there's breathing. There's no one-size-fits-all technique. But even within an individual technique, there's no one-size-fits-all way of doing that technique. So there are lots of possibilities and opportunities for everybody. Well, it's been lovely having you both on. I'm sure that we will talk again on a future episode if we get some questions or we'll maybe pick up on the subject again at a later date. So thank you very much for joining me. So, a big thank you once again to San and to Steph for joining me. And we hope that you enjoyed that podcast episode. Head to the show notes if you would like to work with either San or Steph. Steph runs workshops for driving test nerves. And San runs a mindfulness course, especially for driving instructors. And so she has a directory of instructors who've been through her training. So, why not have a look and see if there's an instructor near you? And so, until next time. Have a great day, whatever you're doing. Thank you for listening to the Driving Confidence podcast. If you would like to access any of our free tools, go to confidentdrivers.co.uk forward slash free tools and begin to transform how you feel about driving.